Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. All right, good morning. Hi, my name is Stephen Bailey. Um, If you don't remember me, I came by in August to preach with you guys, and it was such an honor and privilege to do it then, and I'm happy to have been invited back here to preach again and bring you today's uh, word. So yeah, my name is Stephen. Um, I'm married to Kelsey Bailey, and I have one beautiful four-month-old baby who's in the 97th percentile in height and weight, and it's absolutely adorable, and it's my best bragging fact, okay? She is chunking her way out of nine-month clothing, so if you have any 12-month clothing, okay, we already raided the mirrors, Get contact me after service, please. <laughs> but she's absolutely beautiful. Um, I have our mask here because last week we, uh, COVID had a run-through in our family. We're all okay, thankfully. Um, we're all on the mend, but um, Kelsey and Junie said, well, Junie didn't say anything, but we decided that it's best that they stay home just to, you know, make sure that we don't get anyone else unintentionally sick. So um, that's why I have this mask here today, and I think I'm good enough. So if I spit, I'm sorry, you know, we'll pray afterwards. Um, so anyway, <laughs> today I have the privilege to launch off our series talking about what it means to be in community with one another. Um, and specifically, so there's going to be a bunch of different one another's, and today we're going to be talking about loving one another. And to start this off, I want to ask you this question. Do you know who the man is on the left side of the screen? If we can go to the slide with the man and the beautiful Taylor Swift. There we go. Do you know the man on the left side of the screen? Do you know Taylor Swift? Raise your hand if you know the man on the, is that left? Or, yeah, that's my left. Do you Raise your hand if you knew the man on the left side of the screen before Taylor Swift made him famous. Okay, raise your hand if you know Taylor Swift. Okay, so allegedly the man on the left side of the screen is Travis Kelsey, and he hosts Taylor Swift concerts now at his football games, okay? (laughs) So now I have another um, slightly maybe more divisive question in this room. Raise your hand if you are a Yankees fan in this room. Raise your hand if you're a Mets. Now raise your hand if you're a Red Sox fan. There we go. Oh, there's only two two or three of us, absolutely. You know, I'll forgive you guys later, all right? So I think one of the things that is fun about this little experiment here is that when you break it down to it, it's about the different tribes that we can find ourselves in. You know, some of us have heard of Travis Kelsey before Taylor Swift made him famous. Some of us are diehard Taylor Swift fans and will be Swifties for life, okay? And we'll follow her to the grave. Some of us are Yankees fans, and some of us um, are Red Sox fans and are willing to forgive the Yankees fans, all right? And these are fun examples of tribalism, okay, where we go to sports games, we wear gear, we get excited, we go to concerts, we wear the merch of the person that we're going to go see, and we just have a good time supporting our team. However, tribalism sometimes gets into more nefarious contexts. So tribalism, in some of its worst cases, you know, zealous tribalism is like, you know, how we treat each other in our political division, you know, or in even worse cases, how countries might treat each other when they don't agree or they don't have an agreement set in stone on something they disagree with. Tribalism at its worst divides us instead of actually being playful. Tribalism in the church is, sometimes, is, I would say, sometimes even worse because, you know, we're the 
people that God has called to say, you know, live united, be in love with one another. And yet the first thing we do is we say, my church is better than your church. My denomination is better than your denomination. And we get into our tribal groups to the point where some groups are willing to say, well, they're not even really Christians. How are they even really following Jesus? Tribalism at its worst divides us and sometimes decides to kill us. Zealous tribalism makes us dehumanize our neighbor. It makes an other, and it, help, it makes us not express the love of Christ. Recently in American history, it's our political posture and how we choose to identify as Republican or Democrat primarily rather than children of God in the church. It's all an identity issue at the end of the day when it comes to whether we're willing to identify as children or by a group that is not aligned with the way of Jesus. In other countries, it's how country, in other cases, it's how countries viewed each other, countries or its fuel for racist tendencies and racist actions. Tribalism at its worst destroys life. And sometimes we even use the Bible to support our tribes. But you see, the Bible doesn't talk about the Red Sox, Biden, Trump, Taylor Swift, or the heathen Yankees. There's only one righteous judge, and his name is Jesus. It doesn't care about our tribes, or frankly, the tribes its own society has created. It talks about the community of Christ students. It talks about if the community of Christ students will love each other through division. Unfortunately, our world history is primarily remembered by tribal wars and that broke people apart rather than the reconciliation of our enemies. This is the way which the Bible calls the world, and this way is against the way of Jesus. So we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the other, the person that is not like me, and this command to love them as, I, as God has loved me. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come with us today in this word? And would you illuminate your heart for all the world? So we love you, we praise you, and we make you the center stage. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Amen. So this word we're going to hang on for the next couple of weeks is this word in Greek, eleion. Now, it's this word for one another or each other in Greek. You know, eleion is not necessarily a magical word. It doesn't unlock anything special. But what it shows us is a pattern of the early believers, how their concern is for each other. You find this word repeated because the word, in, the word directly relates to the value of the early uh, body of believers. It re relates to how the community of Christ believers wanted to follow Jesus, and the way of following Jesus was concern for each other. And so it shows us that um, it's the, um, the early church first learned from Jesus to value one another, which is against typically our individualistic culture here, because we are usually very me-centered, that our conduct in our relationship with our neighbor was similar to our conduct in our relationship with God. But it's also clear that the only way to properly value our neighbor is to know God deeply. Pete Scazzaro writes um, in his Emotionally Healthy Relationships devotional book, Loving well is the essence of true spirituality. It requires experiencing connection with God, with others, and oneself. Many of us are good at practicing the presence of God, but practicing the presence of people is one skill we tend to neglect. Hence the Bible's emphasis on one another's, and it's essential to the gospel. Today, we're going to read portions of 1 John 4 to talk about how God breaks down our tribalism through his love so we can love one another. So if you want to open up to 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read two sections, 7 through 12 and then 19 through 21, and I'll give you just a moment. 
So I'm reading from the NRSV. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that God, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atone, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives us, and his love is perfected in us. We love because he first loved us. This is at verse 19. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother and sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters. So briefly on why John is writing this. So John, this is the disciple John, a little bit later in his life, talking to the church in Ephesus, and they're experiencing division. In fact, if you want a summary of every epistle ever written, most of them are because they're probably experiencing some sort of division, and the person writing is trying to address the division to bring unity to that group of people. So John is doing this to the church in Ephesus. One part of the church in Ephesus is starting to practice some, uh, you know, false teachings, and some are trying to follow righteously, and they are divided on how to live united and how to bridge the gap and come back together. And the first point he really brings up in this is talking about um, how the love of God is to be received and practiced simultaneously throughout the entire um, first epistle of John, okay? He talks about how the love of God is to be received and practiced simultaneously. In fact, if you look at this phrase, love one another, or agape eleion, which is frequently used in his letter, the word for love that he uses in this phrase is repeated about five to seven times, that, or that you must love one another. And the Greek word for love in this, in this passage is agape, now, in English, we have love and like to express our uh, affection for someone or something. In Greek, there are like six words, and the New Testament uses two primarily, agape and phileo. Phileo refers to friendship. This is where we get the word Philadelphia, the, brother, the city of brotherly love. It's not just a colonial city, but there was like five other Philadelphias in the ancient world. The church is called to phileo because this friendship is built on affection for each other. So it's good that we have phileo for each other. Jesus had phileo with his disciples, and God has phileo for Jesus and the disciples. In John 17, 27, the word phileo is used, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. He has phileoed you because you have phileoed me and believed that I have come from God. Here, Jesus is using this to describe how the disciples have affection for Jesus. Jesus has a friend, and his father has affection for them. Phileo is a word used to describe people that give us, in one way, the warm fuzzies. Like, they make me feel good, and they make me happy that I see them, and I want to be near them. And so this is a good thing for the church to want to do. When the church... And the church loves to have phileo, warm fuzzies to God. You know, sometimes when we worship, we're hoping that we could feel and experience God's tender love, his phileo. But that's not agape. Agape has its own beautiful nuance that is different than phileo. And it's the word that John focuses on his letter. To start off, you don't have to feel elated to agape someone. But you do feel it in your gut when you agape someone. A better word for agape rather than love is devotion. It's a word used in the, when it's used in the Old Testament in your love 
your agape endures forever, your devotion endures forever. It's used throughout the Bible to describe God's covenant with Israel. Sometimes it's translated as loving kindness, but devotion really hits the best sense of the word. Since this word is also used to describe God's love as a groom to his bride, the church, to describe this devotion that God has to us. Agape isn't something you have to feel. Agape is something that you do. It's something that you act on. It's this committance knowing that I love this person, and I don't feel it right now, but I'm pursuing them. Now, don't get me wrong. You can have warm fuzzies while you agape someone. Don't get me wrong. Like, agape isn't a call to like this solemn, I hate myself, I'm going to go love them. Like, agape is a call to deep devotion to another person because you find them worthy. In the New Testament, it's used in John 3.16, for God so loved, agaped the world. And agape the Lord your God with all your heart, and you shall agape your neighbor as yourself. It's always used about communities. It's not just this one-on-one individualistic, like I have this agape with God, God has this agape with me. It's God has this agape with who? All of us, the entire world. There's this individual responsibility to practice agape, but a community of agape only works if everyone living in it is in Christ's sacrificial love together, and we need each other to practice it. In the Bible, we are challenged by God's agape to practice deep agape with our neighbors, strangers, and our enemies. Agape calls us to deep devotion, a holier, unconditional love, and this love is revealed in Christ. But this love is, isn't primarily felt, it's acted on. When someone agape someone, it's not sitting in awe, just sitting in awe with the warm fuzzies, but it's acting from the gut to elevate that person's well-being. So much so that when we dishonor God in worship, if we don't seek agape with our neighbor, we actually dishonor God. Now, love for your neighbor isn't just what you feel about them, but that it's an important part of it. It's the action of devotion to them. That, that from my desire to care for them, I will act on my desire and care for them even um, through my life, even if we disagree. And ultimately, what makes us devoted to one another in the church? The cross of Christ. We are compelled to agape from his example. And agape goes against our tribal senses to build the family of God. So, I'm sorry, agape goes against our tribal senses to destroy the family of God, and agape rather helps build our sense to build the family of God together. The agape of God is to be received and practiced simultaneously, but it's important that we remember his agape is received first in order to really practice it. That when we want to live in agape with each other, we have to remember that we have to learn agape. We have to learn from the source And that's why John in this letter will also call us to abide deeply in him. We can't show the love of God without first knowing and experiencing the love of God deeply. And it's important to sit on that because there is a tendency in the church where we tend to say like, oh, I got to go show the love of God. I got to go be the love of God and I got to go do this and end up showing the love of God in our own image or we end up showing the love of God according to how we define it instead of sitting and resting and saying, Father, show me your love for me. Show me your love for this church. Show me your love for the world. It's from that devotion from God that we can be devoted to one another. And if we misalign our priorities, we end up, we end up making a false image of what God's love looks like. John also talks about 
how loving our neighbor begins with knowing the love of God, abiding in the love of God. We can only love as deeply as we've known his love. If we are not loving, we are not walking in the light. So there's this theme in 1 John on light and agape. He makes it clear that there's only one way to light, and it's abiding in God's agape through Jesus. Then Jesus brings us into agape for our neighbor or else we're in darkness. John uses these themes of light and agape in both his gospel and epistle to tie this theme of how following Jesus brings us to the heart of God and opposes the, opposes the dark structures and principalities of this world. And it's clear, when we agape Jesus, you know, when we are fully devoted to the agape of Jesus and we experience the agape of his love, we show agape to our neighbor. But one way of telling if we are not abiding in Jesus is if we don't show agape to our neighbor. It's like we don't know God, John says. And now this is kind of easy to agree with, but the way of darkness is more insidious in our heart than we give it credit. There is a human tendency to tribalize and dehumanize people that are not like us. If the church starts looking like a mean girl's high school cafeteria, there's a problem, okay? If the worship team sits here and the new people sit here, you know, and the elders sit over there and then the ministry team sits here, there's a problem. And that's just in a microcosm of looking at one single church. If we go to a big church, churches get together and the reformed people sit here and the Christian Missionary Alliance sit here and, you know, the charismatics sit over here, we got a problem. Because we are devoted to one another in love amidst our disagreements. The image of the kingdom isn't segmented tables, but the biggest table and the biggest house ever built. And we are, as the church, are invited to build it bigger with the agape of Jesus. Not with our sense of agape, but with the agape of Jesus. Every believer is still on that journey from darkness into his light, but there is some good news. Jesus is redeeming all of us so we can agape one another. His agape brings us into deeper agape for one another. So if we have a different political persuasion, if we have a different cultural background, if we are enemies with people that um, our families or our friends or the thing that they did says that we should hate them and be at war against them, the cross is powerful enough to show us the way of agape to them. We can agape deeply, agape them deeply in our church family, outside of our church family, anywhere. Because if God so loved the world, then I can so love the world with God. But another thing is true when we perpetuate tribalism and we live in hatred. Because at the end of the day, hatred is a roadblock to living in agape with God and our neighbor. 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says, Those who say, I love God, and hate their brother and sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. So again, in context, John is referring to the Ephesians church that is divided due to false teachings. Here he's trying to pastorally address this divided community. And he's clear. You can't hate your siblings in Christ and say that I love God. It's easy to hate people who aren't in the church, but we also do it to people in our own church circles. And neither is appropriate in the kingdom. 
And it's clear also that when Jesus, when John is using and quoting this and saying this line, he's actually using Jesus's passage on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, "You have heard it. Was, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister Raka will be answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar." And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. We have to sit with the fact that Jesus says reconciliation is better than worship. This is committance of agape. Committance of living out agape to your neighbor that you have hatred with or you have division with is better than a, or, and more fragrant than a sacrifice or an offering. He desires agape amongst his children more than you saying, oh, Jesus, I'll give you 20% of my my check. Or, oh, Jesus, I'll live in ministry for you. He wants you to love your neighbor as he has deeply loved you. And one thing that's beautiful in John's letter is that, and some translations don't do this, and it makes me sad, but he calls the divided church beloved. Some children will say, oh, friends or brothers, you know, and sisters. And I'm like, no, John is calling them into their identity as beloved. Why? Because Jesus is called beloved. And when we're in Christ, we share that identity as well as beloved of God. And so when John is addressing this divided church, he's not saying, hey, you heathens and you beloved. He is calling them both beloved. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are both in the identity of Jesus. And we don't like thinking about this, but the people that we're angry with or we disagree with are beloved of God as well. And if they're beloved of God, we are obliged to be in agape with them. Doesn't mean we have to, like, you know, trust them, be best friends, you know, hang out all the time. You know, that's not the call, but the call is to live in shalom or deep peace and deep love and have affection for them, even if they frustrate us. That if they need help, you pursue them. That if they're having a bad day, you don't say, well, serves you right. You go over to them and say, how can I help you? The agape of Jesus is deep, and it challenges us, challenges us, our structures, and the darkness that's hidden inside our own ways of doing things. But it's separate from the world. It calls us above our petty arguments about who we vote for and like what side you're on for baseball teams or even what side of the argument you're on if you find yourself in a mean girl's cafeteria at your workplace, you know. The the way of Jesus calls us above the ways of hatred in this world. And it challenges our soul because the way of Jesus is against the world. And so it might make us angry to think that I have to be an agape with my neighbor. But let's reframe it. You don't just have to be an agape with your neighbor. For the sake of your soul, you get to be an agape with Jesus first. And he shows you how to love your neighbor better. The opportunity isn't doing something you don't want to do. The opportunity is getting to know the heart of the Father deeper. And then from there, you go and you love your neighbor well. Hatred dehumanizes us. If we forget that our enemies are beloved... We forget how God first loved us. Hatred refuses to see how deeply the Father loves the people we're in contention with. And hatred keeps us from knowing God's love as well. 
Yet the more we spend, in, the more time we spend in his love, the more he softens our heart to have agape for those we hate. And I want us to pause just for a moment because when it comes down to it, when we look at people that we are in tension with or we hate, it shows in our soul that we, we need to know Jesus' love a little bit deeper. So I just want to take a moment where we can pause and be before the throne of Jesus. And even for a fraction, as a community here, can we know the agape of Jesus? I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I just think it's important that we know the touch of heaven, that God so loved the world. And guess what? We're part of that world. So bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, King Jesus, gracious Father, we welcome you. Not that we have to summon you, but we just say you, are, you have full access to us. And we surrender. Jesus, would you highlight how we have been living in darkness and in hatred and we have refused agape? Jesus, where we have refused agape, would you fill us with your agape first? Would you flush our heart and our system, do a deep clean and purge of all that's broken. Would you show us the depth of your love? And even now, like it's the, the, the Jesus is bringing to mind the old pictures of where you see hands in space and uh, the hands are God's hands and the globe is sitting in the middle of it. And I just want to bless you with that, that you see the tenderness of Jesus in this light for your neighbor, for yourself. Holy Spirit, thank you. Jesus, would you bring us to tears for the pain of our neighbor? Would you show us how to love them well? Help us to practice your way. In your name. Amen. The agape of Jesus brings all of us into agape with each other. Would you turn to the person to your right? We're going to do something corny and say, the agape of Jesus is for you. If you have no one to your right, go to your left. <laughs> the agape of Jesus is for you. And I just hope that for the person that you're in tension with, that you pray over them today, that the agape of Jesus is for you. It's easy to live according to our disposition for tribalism in this world. But the deeper we know the agape of God, the deeper we will be able to live in agape with each other. And the agape of Jesus brings us all into the agape, into agape for each other. I hope you've heard agape enough today where it's become a new word in your brain and it's no longer just this random Greek word, but you're going to say agape, agape, agape everywhere you go. <laughs>
When we live in the agape of Jesus, the witnessing the power of God in our lives and the lives of others becomes kind of self-evident. Because in John 13, 35, it says, By this, we'll know, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that we are Jesus' disciples? If we love one another. Jesus says, the fruit of spending time with me is the depth of love you're able to show someone else. And who doesn't want to know Jesus more? And who doesn't want to love their neighbor more? Come on, these are all things that we want. So why are we letting hatred be a roadblock in our lives, keeping us from experiencing the fullness of the love of God? Loving our neighbor will require humility on our part for their honor. Being devoted to our neighbor requires a sacrificing of our pride so that way they can be loved. And when you sacrifice pride, you mimic Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? He got beaten and whipped naked and hung and died on a cross. It's the most shameful and most humiliating thing you can do. When we sacrifice our pride, we follow the way of Jesus. Agape might mean you don't feel good when you love your neighbor. You might feel annoyed or silly, but abiding in Jesus' agape is not a call to a luxuriously easy life. It's a call to loving well in your life. Jesus doesn't have agape with us so we can cash in our get-out-of-hell card at death. He shows us agape to all of us so we can live in heaven's reality with our neighbors, families, and enemies before we get there. He modeled a loving life in community so we could all be part of bringing heaven to earth. So for the sake of all that is broken in you and in the world, reject tribalism and abide in the agape of Jesus. And how do you know if you're not loving your neighbor well? One illustration that Rob shared with me is one of a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer reads someone's temperature where a thermostat sets the temperature in the room. So take your temperature. Are you being patient, kind, demanding, keeping records of wrongs against each other, especially one another? Are your words bringing life to people or are they bringing death? Are we jealous or proud or easily irritated really quick when someone tries to tell us their needs? Are our conversations more self, like selfish and built around our well-being or are they built around the other person's well-being? Is what you're saying more about being honest or is it more about being right in the moment? And then also, how would others describe your understanding of love? Because guess what? You can't be your own like, litmus test for how much of a good person you are. Like, other people will also report to you, yeah, when you said that, I felt devalued. You know? And the beauty is, is that as if we're living in the agape of Jesus, we become a thermostat. And we can set the temperature of agape in our workplace community, our family, and our friends. Because this is how the gospel is spread. If we set the temperature, we show the example of God's love. We create the hunger for God's love. We actively and passively live on mission more effortlessly than if we were to give them a doctrine like class in the middle of our workplace. When we live out the love of Jesus, people look to you and say, you're living in a way that's different than the world. And I am so hungry for it. Because at the end of the day, and here's a little cue into a little bit of the preaching series, series, loving one another serves as the basis for praying for and confessing to one another, forgiving and restoring one another, serving and bearing with one another, encouraging one another, and accepting and living in harmony with one another. Before we even do all the cool Christian things, we have to sit with the agape of Jesus and practice living in agape with the person we're intentioned with. So we're going to go into communion in just a moment. 
And as we examine ourselves and go before the Lord's table, I want us to consider these questions. Um, and if you need prayer, um, feel free to, if you want to, you may sit alone in prayer. If you want to, you may turn to your neighbor or two or three people, because you know when two or three are gathered, you know. Um, who's there? Jesus. So go ahead, turn to a group of people and pray together. And if you want someone to pray over you, um, we can have someone pray over you. But I want you to consider these questions. Do I believe God has agape for me and the person I consider my enemy? And maybe even break that in half. Do I believe God has agape devotion for me? Just pray, Jesus, show me your heart for them. And Jesus, show me your heart for me. Am I eager to listen or speak first in conversation? Maybe you have to say, Jesus, I confess I've not loved them as you have loved me. And maybe you could replace that question with, am I eager to show, be right, or am I eager to be prideful in conversation? Do I need to repent for how I've acted toward, felt, or spoken about my neighbor? Jesus, show me how to repent, love my neighbor, and give you glory. These are just example questions, but let's get to the heart of it. We need to know the agape of Jesus more. So, at this point, I'd like you to turn to a neighbor. If you need someone to pray over you, please, I'll pray over you. That's okay. Um, I believe we also have two people, a prayer team person. Yes, we have a prayer. We have a prayer team, okay? <laughs> you can go to them as well. They'll be in these corners, all right? So I'll, I'll start you off. Go ahead, and we can get started. Jesus, we open this space to you. And we just need your love so much. This week has been hard. This month has been hard. This year has been hard. And we can't do it without your love. Would you show us how devoted, how much agape you have for us as a community? We love you and we praise you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.